The readings this morning are taken from 1 Samuel. We're starting in chapter 23, verses 15 and 16, and we'll continue in 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 to 6. While David was at Haresh in the desert Aziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him to find strength in God. Chapter 30. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's nice to see you. I'm still not quite used to looking up and seeing an array of masks. But you look very splendid, even with your mask in place. I'm looking forward to seeing the bottom half of your face very much. But I'm assuming underneath, behind the mask, is an enormous grin and a vote of, yes, we're ready to listen, we're ready to grow, we're up for it, praise the Lord. So if that's not what you're thinking, I've misinterpreted your look. <laughs> Let, let's pray, let's pray for God's help this morning. Father God, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your desire to bless today. Thank you for the strength of your word and the help of your spirit this morning. And our prayer together would be that you would be the lifter of our heads and the shield about us. Come and speak to us and help me as I speak to lift you up faithfully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm deviating from what's meant to be a sermon series on the parables, but that's the vicar's privilege. You, you write the preaching program and then you change it. And I can hinge my subject today actually on one line from the parable in which uh, we were taught last week, the parable of a sower. And the verse would be this, others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time, and when trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, they quickly fall away. And what I want to speak about today is how to put roots down. I want to talk about some of those roots that we can have in place, which we will find in tough times serve us well to keep us connected to God. 
I want to talk more specifically about how we can strengthen ourselves in God. It's a paradox, isn't it, that Jesus Christ holds out abundant life, life to the full. John chapter 10, verse 10, you know that. But then we discover that abundant life isn't always in the shape that we thought it would be. And Jesus isn't shy about that. He tells his disciples to be constantly cheerful, but they will be constantly under pressure. It's not a surprise to us that near the end of his life, Paul will say, I've fought the good fight. He doesn't say, I've strolled my way to the finish. And so it will be true for us. We could expect, couldn't we, that our journey forward with Christ is going to include difficulties. If we were going to describe it, I don't think it would be wrong to say it would be like climbing up a difficult rock face rather more than a stroll in the park. Every day for the follower of Christ is a day of challenge in one form or another. Now sometimes, sometimes, God provides an extraordinary and miraculous way through these difficulties, both in the Old and the New Testament, doesn't he? We can think of them, you know, the times when the walls of Jericho come tumbling down, or the apostles escape from prison, or the crossing of a Red Sea. But returning to the picture of climbing a rock face, surely a better way of staying on the rock face if you're a rock climber, uh, even though it's not so dramatic as one of those miracle rescues, surely a more sensible approach would be to invest in some ropes and the right equipment for keeping you safe as you do the climb. And you could think of this talk as the different ropes that you need in your kit to keep you attached to the mountain. And we're going to use David's life as, the, as our basis for what I've got to say. Now, the most usual provision that God makes for us through hard times is one another. That is his standard provision. And you look around you this morning, you're allowed to do that. And as I look around, I know, I know, we're the family of God together. And if we hit challenges, we ought to be able to turn to each other for resource and strength. And we will, and we do. And David did that when he was in trouble. I'm not going to spend much time on this at all, but in the very first reading, 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 15 and 16, I'll just read it again. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come to take out his life. There was a price on his head. He was in trouble. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. And that's my very first point, and, and we all understand it, and we all get it, and we all know it, that we find strength when our friends come alongside and strengthen us. And we need that. Partnership is the pattern for discipleship. And you'll find that all the way through the scriptures. Uh, Ananias is a partner to Saul. Uh, there are lots of 
of teamworks, teams at work in the New Testament, aren't they? The disciples went out two by two. They didn't go alone. Well, I, I'm not going to spend any more time on that, but I'm just clocking it there as a resource we have, each other, each other. And now we're going to turn to the bulk of what I'm going to talk about. How do you strengthen your own hand in God? Because we can't just rely on other people to do it. I remember hearing a lecture in Cambridge by Sir Ranulph Fiennes, or Fiennes. And he's a great explorer, and um, he makes a living by going on impossible treks and journeys and then coming back and talking about what he's done to survive. And he's interesting because he's had to do such extraordinary things to survive, including cutting off his own fingers with a penknife uh, when they have frostbite. <laughs> uh, don't worry, that's not one of my techniques for survival, I recommend. But, but what he said in this lecture was, it, the battle was won in the mind. The battle was won before he hit trouble by knowing in his head what he would do if he hit trouble. And before you can strengthen yourself, you need, and I need, to cultivate this skill, to take ourselves in hand. If we're going to strengthen ourselves in God, we need to take ourselves in hand. Have you noticed in the Psalms, David wrote Psalms, have you noticed in the Psalms, it's like David has a conversation with himself from time to time? Like this, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God and I will yet praise him, my saviour. The Puritans were very good at this. They would talk to themselves. They would talk strength into their own walk with God. And we're going to need that kind of discipline. Now, let me unpack the scripture that was read to you just so that you can know what kind of a mess uh, David was really in. It's a scripture from 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you've got a tablet or a phone uh, which can bring up the scriptures, you'll find it helpful to have in front of you. But I'll give you the background and then I'll, re I'll read the passage again. Because David is really backed into a corner here. He's about 20 years old when this happens and he's on the run from King Saul. He's got about 600 men with him and he's been playing a very, very dangerous game of deception for about 16 months. What he's been doing is living uh, with his friends amongst the Philistines who are Israel's enemy. And while being careful to cultivate an image as if he's colluding with the Philistines, in fact what he's been doing is going on raiding parties and um, destroying some of Israel's enemies, the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. And because he doesn't want to be found out, he obliterates all trace of these camps that he basically annihilates. And he returns to the Philistine leader, Achish, and tells him, a whopper, tells him he's been doing nothing less than attacking the Israelites. Now, he must have known, David must have known, that A, what he'd been doing wasn't, wasn't sanctified by God, and secondly, there's a big danger he'd be found out in the end. And although he fooled Achish, 
he didn't fool all the Philistines because when they're about to go off to a battle, they reach, they assemble in a place called Jezreel and the other Philistines say, we don't trust this David and his cohorts, send him back. And that's exactly what happens. David and his cohorts get sent packing on a three-day march back to where they come from, a place called Ziklag. And now I'll read the passage you had and you'll see what they walked into on arrival. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day of retreat. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag and they'd attacked and burnt it. And they'd taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but they carried them off as they went on their way. And when David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength in the Lord his God. Here he is in, as one commentator put it, total isolation, facing universal hostility, with no one to talk to on equal terms. Apparently a hopeless situation, backed against the wall, but David found strength in the Lord his God. How? And I want to offer you a number of strands or ropes, if you like, that kept David to the rock face. Here's the first one. The first thing we need to do to strengthen ourselves in God is to look up. Is to look up. Perhaps it's the hardest one to do. To look up and bring God into the picture. The question we ask ourselves in the middle of a really tough spot is where, where am I looking for help? And you need to put a holding pin in the rock face, as it were. How do I know that David did this? Well, in the Psalms, he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, the reason it's hard, we all know this, is that when you are backed into a corner, when you are in a situation that's challenging and suffering, it's very hard to see straight very hard to look anywhere we get a kind of distorted vision don't we and quite often we turn our attention in on ourselves but we've got to train ourselves to look up you'll know how you react in a tight spot as I look back I think there were periods of my life when I reacted first of all in a kind of blind panic just a kind of ah and then secondly, I would react by a kind of phone-a-friend mentality and, and pick up the phone and, and just sort of think if I could share the mess I'm in, maybe they can dig me out of a hole. Well, I mean, in some ways, um, you can't help yourself if that's your involuntary start, but you do need to help yourself because you need to stop and say, hang on a minute, have I looked up yet? Have I included God? I heard a story, I'm sure it's true, 
about an Australian bishop. He was over in London for a while and he called a taxi and, you know, he's wearing his bishop's kit, presumably. And um, as he got out of the taxi, paid the taxi man, he was about two steps from the taxi when the cabbie said, say one for me, bishop. And the bishop said, say one yourself. (laughs) And in a sense, there's no point turning to someone else and saying, say one for me, if you're not prepared to say one yourself. Say one yourself. Look up. David became skilled in this. In Psalm 16, he says, I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I won't be shaken. Where are you focused? Where is your focus? I remember someone telling me, when you look at the world, God seems very small. But when you look at God, the world seems very small. So that's the first thing, look up. Secondly, remind yourself, my God reigns. My God reigns, the Lord reigns. Or to put it another way, who's in charge around here? Did you pick up in the prayers that Jack just prayed? We hadn't liaised with each other, but he began a prayer, didn't he? God who's in charge of all things. That's right. That is absolutely right. And David, as he looked at the ruins, could comfort himself with this truth. God's sovereign power. God is in total control of all that happens on earth. And remembering God's omnipotence is a big step to recovering our confidence. The Psalms, again, are very strong on God's sovereignty and dominion. Let me read a few. Psalm 93, verse 1. The Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and is armed with strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. And in Psalm 93, and it helps to know that, as I read this bit of Psalm 93, in their imaginations, the sea often was a picture of everything that was meant to be evil and in rebellion against God. The seas have lifted up, O Lord, the seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, The Lord on high is mighty, Psalm 93. Or Psalm 96, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Or Psalm 136, 135, verse 6, the Lord does whatever he pleases in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. And this is the story, isn't it, from Genesis to Revelation. The Lamb is on the throne. He holds the keys of death and Hades and the song of triumph is hallelujah for the Lord our God the almighty reigns and as you think of that does not strength begin to come from your bones you know from time to time maybe at the end of this talk we'll enjoy a festal shout together don't look too worried it's all right where we declare the Lord reigns just like in the psalm but we remind ourselves The Lord reigns. He's watching over what goes on and nothing will happen that he doesn't allow. Okay, strand number three. A question this time. And this is the strand that 
probably you and I are most likely to skip or want to skip or miss. What is my part in this mess? What is my part in this mess? Because maybe I do play a part in it. David certainly did in the predicament that we're describing today. Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness, therefore you're feared. And sometimes when we're in a crisis, we might recognize that we've contributed to the crisis. And it's not so much if you're in a hole, stop digging, though that is a pretty good idea. But also with God, confess your part in the mess. Because we know, don't we? we? We know. That's why we say the confession each week. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. We know that John writes, I write to this so that you won't get caught up in habitual sin. But if anyone does sin, we have someone who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And quite often we will find that God's means of rescuing us most often comes, if you like, not through crossing the Red Sea, but through seeing the Red Cross. And we often would like to skip this. I would like to skip this as a process of receiving strength. But we can't and we shouldn't. And we need to know we don't disappoint him in a way when we sin because he knows what we're like beforehand. David hasn't surprised him with his behavior. But what would disappoint God would be if we didn't return to him and ask him to reset our compass. And here's a challenge. If the last time you repented of anything is a long time ago, then it's a long time ago that you stopped growing. If we want God's strength, we need this cord as much as any other in our equipment pack. But it leads happily onto the fourth strand, and that's this. God's commitment to you and to me is unbreakable and unshakable. And it's good to have that in our armory. Psalm 31, blessed be the Lord for he's wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was beset as in a besieged city. Psalm 35, the Lord be exalted who delights in the well-being of his servant. And the particular Hebrew word that means unbreakable, steadfast love is used 120 times in the Psalms. God's love will not desert you in a tough time. He's not a fair weather friend. Someone gave me a copy of the film some time ago, Touching the Void, and it was originally a book. You might have read it. It's a kind of thriller book, very, very short. It's about two people who are climbing a mountain, climbing a rock face. And they get into a, a predicament and one of them decides actually to sever the rope which is attached to his friend. And the story is 
about how they come to meet one another because amazingly that person survives. But God will never sever the rope that attaches you and me to him. That's the point I'm making. His, his love is unshakable. It's something you and I absolutely can trust in. Absolutely. Moving on. The fifth rope. And there aren't too many left. God can strengthen us and we can strengthen ourselves through stirring up the memories of times when God has already been faithful to you and to me. David has in his memory bank times of God's goodness which help him to trust God now. So when he goes out to meet Goliath, the Philistine, he says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of a lion and the paw of a bear will deliver me from the hand of a Philistine. In the great hymn, Amazing Grace, isn't this what John Newton is doing when he says, through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. It is grace that's brought me safe thus far and grace will see me home. And God has promised on his word that the work he's begun in you and me, he'll see through to completion. And David banks on this, Psalm 91, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I'll protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He'll call upon me and I'll answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. The sixth source of strength, the penultimate one. Go to the dispensary. Go to the place where God dispenses his strength. It's his to give. Holy Spirit strength. A strength which is stronger than the sum of the parts. It's greater than just reason. It's given as a gift. Psalm 31, turn your ear to me, come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Psalm 28, verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I'm helped. Psalm 46, God is our hope and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. I'm going to read now a, a short extract from a letter written by Henry Venn to his friend, the Countess of Huntingdon, after his wife had died, leaving him with five children to look after. And listen to how he describes God's help in his predicament. The language is a bit dated, but we can get our heads around it. I am now a living witness of a truth you so strenuously maintain and the necessity of that truth in our miserable condition here below. Did I not know the Lord to be mine? Were I not certain his heart feels even more love for me than I'm able to conceive? Were this not evident to me, not by deduction and argument, but by the consciousness, by his own light shining in my soul as the sun's light shines upon my bodily eyes, into what a deplorable situation I would have been cast. Were there no Holy Spirit now to strengthen me, 
whether nothing more than a, than a dependence on the word of promise, without an almighty power and agent to explain, impress, and apply it. How would my hands hang down and my knees faint and fall under the pressure of my cross? But on the contrary, I abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit given to me, and I rejoice in tribulation from the experience I now have, more than I possibly could in a less severe trial, that the man of sorrows is as rivers of water in a dry place and gives me songs in the night. Makes me tingle all over when I think of that. It's the Holy Spirit ministering to someone in weakness. And the Holy Spirit can still do that for you and for me. But have you been to the dispensary? Would you go and ask him? And finally this, as David did, bank on the future. Bank on the future. You know, as followers of Christ, through this long period of testing with COVID and all those regulations, it's not sufficient just to have in your mind this too will pass. That, that, that's altogether too pedestrian a way of getting through. We have as our theme tune, the best is yet to be. We have a positive future that we're actively looking forward to. As David penned it in his psalm, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And as we think about that in times of trouble and testing, strength returns. It's not this too will pass. It's when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. Yes? It's there'll be no more crying and mourning. There'll be no more pain. You won't wear masks in heaven because there's no sickness or sign or suffering. And as we think about that, whatever we're in the middle of enduring, strength comes. Friends, what I'm trying to do this morning as I, as I close, what I've been trying to do is bring to your attention the parts of Scripture that furnish us with strength. Because Jesus did warn us that the road we walk is tough. It's narrow. There are not that many people on it. It's going against the flow to follow Christ faithfully. In this world, you'll have trouble. You know this. But in this world, you will have God's strength. Do you want that? Why on earth would we not? Are we confident of this? I hope so. We have every reason to be. Do we believe that the Lord reigns? I do. You prepared to say it? Could you sort of shout it from behind the mask real loud? Okay, mask's on. Ready? Let's stand up. I'm going to declare. I, I would just love to declare together the Lord reigns. And if you ask why, because he should hear it from his family, the church. Because the principalities and powers should hear it. 
that in the middle of London there's a group, and we're not the only group, there are thousands of groups meeting in London that believe it too. The Lord reigns. And also we're doing this to remind ourselves what we know is true. You know, a parent says to their child, I love you, darling, or whatever they say like that. And the child doesn't say, oh, I know that, put it away. You said it once when I was about three and I don't need to hear it till I'm 93. We, we love hearing a parent say, I love you. And a parent loves hearing from a child, the child say, I love you. And I think God loves it when we declare together the Lord reigns. He doesn't say, oh, I know I reign, I'm pretty bored of that, you know. I think he's grateful in a funny sort of way that there are people who will stand up and be counted and say the Lord reigns. So in the first time we say it now, let's say it as a statement of fact that we're declaring it for ourselves, something we believe, the Lord reigns. Are you ready? The Lord reigns. And now why don't we just turn this to a prayer and think about people that you know who are in a difficult situation today. People who will find it hard to turn their face to the Lord, to even look up. But let's bring them into God's company in our prayers, in our imagination. As we say together, the Lord reigns. And let's do the same as we think of parts of the world we know are being severely tested today with the COVID crisis in particular. And as we bring them to the Lord and ask for his mercy and compassion, let's declare together, the Lord reigns. And lastly, let's just think of this city. Friends and neighbours and people that we know in this city who have never thought about turning to Jesus. Who wouldn't have a clue how to receive strength from him. And let's cry out to God for his mercy to be shown upon them. For him somehow to break into their lives. And for this church to be part of God's plan of salvation for many more people. We say together, the Lord reigns. And finally, let's just bring ourselves to him and ask for his strength. Lord, I've been talking about strength this morning and how to receive it. We pray you'd walk us through our paces, that when we're in a spot, something of what we've heard this morning would come back to our minds. And we turn to you and find ourselves able to say what David said, that you were his strength and his song and have become his salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.